Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Varta Weekly. Thank you so much for joining us. I have Nirav Kanodra, who is a banker based in Singapore. He has an active interest in politics, economics, and a bunch of other things. Uh, you've heard him on multiple podcasts before. Hi, Nirav. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, hi, Roshan. Uh, glad to be here. First time on the weekly. <laughs> right. Making his debut. Uh, we have Abhishek Paul as well. Abhishek Paul, of course, is a regular on the weekly. You've heard him before. Slicing and dicing uh, various things, bringing in the nuance to all of the discussion. Hi, Abhishek. Hi, Roshan. Hi, Nidav. Good to be here. Awesome. So, what a week, guys. I don't know where to get started. Right? It's it's just been such a crazy, such a beautiful week, in fact, right? So, on this weekly, we'll be covering a bunch of things. Obviously, we're going to talk about India at the Olympics. We're going to talk about Neeraj Chopra's javelin throw, right? And a bunch of other things. We'll also talk about the Kail Ratna Award being renamed to Major Dhyan Chand Award. Then the fact that retrospective tax was overruled and vaccinations crossing the 50 crore mark. The Amazon versus uh, Reliance kerfuffle at the courts and the Hindu temple desecration at, in Pakistan, right? So these are things that we'll be talking about over the course of the next 30 minutes. But before that, as we do, let's uh, take a look at uh, a couple of the episodes we put out last week. So we did one on Karnataka politics. I'm not sure if, uh, you know, you guys had a chance to catch it, Nirav and Abhishek, but this was a super comprehensive overview on everything that's happening here. We spoke about, you know, why this change was necessitated, uh, the strategic intent, the broader significance of it. Uh, we discussed uh, Mr. Basavraj Bomai's uh, political lineage, uh, you know, what kind of a chief minister he will be, and uh, also the legacy and impact of Sri B.S. Yadurapaji. So, Nirav, did you catch the e-commerce uh, episode? E-commerce episode was uh, quite an interesting one. I think uh, Ramesh actually highlighted quite well that fine line uh, that needs to be balanced between offline retail as well as yeah. uh, online retail because there is a large trader community, large shopkeepers and hawkers and how this policy kind of needs to balance that as well. Also the question about how does the policy differentiate between people selling their own goods online versus platforms selling other yeah. people's goods. So if you book a flight on make my trip, is the airline responsible to refund for cancellation or is the platform? So I think it's quite a nice nuanced episode. Obviously, the e-commerce policy changes are a step in the right direction, but they are still a step in a longer mm -hmm. journey. So I think that was quite well nuanced. Both Rajiv and Ramesh uh, delved deep into it. So I would just recommend all our uh, viewers to go through the episode in full, actually. Yeah, two wonderful episodes. Do check it out if you haven't already. Moving on to the first piece of news. So India at the Olympics, uh, this week India surpassed our past performance in the 2012 London Games, netting seven medals and our first gold medal in more than a decade. After Neera Chopra's javelin throw yesterday, a gold medal was finally added to India's tally. This is the first time, the first time an Indian has won a medal in athletics since our participation in the Games. The Indian hockey team also backed the bronze with Ravi Kumar and Bajrang Purnia going home with silver and bronze in wrestling. Nirav. What do you have to say? This Olympics has been like, apart from just the best uh, performance in terms of medals, if you saw right from like the first day of the Olympics where uh, Meera Bhai Chanu won the silver, that is like two weeks ago. And like uh, uh, in women's weightlifting, you saw PV Sindhu winning bronze in badminton. 
and every day especially that was because of like the team event of men's and women's hockey matches being every alternate day so every day there was something for the indian sports fan to watch and uh, if you look at it's not just the number of medals it's the breadth of participation uh, you saw uh, a few near misses as well a couple a few fourths uh, where you missed the bronze the women's hockey team they missed the bronze playoff you saw aditi ashok who's ranked 200 in uh, women's golf hold her nerve through four days up till the last stroke she was in contention for even pot possibly the gold and uh, she just won missing by two strokes so nelly corda who's the world number 1 uh, got the gold and then silver there were two people tied and they had to play a playoff so that included former world number 1 lydia ko so i think she has shown uh, despite being down with covid in may so she's had a fantastic performance probably 90% of indians don't know the rules of golf but a lot of people were watching it right towards the end of on the last day for a medal contention so it shows a unifying theme that you know sports can unite people all across all different type of people's uh, the spectrum absolutely so it's been a great week and uh, yeah uh, we've got next year we've got the birmingham commonwealth games asian games in hangzhou and then paris olympics uh, 2024 so hopefully we increase our medal tally through all these future games right abhishek any quick comments before we move on to the next one yeah as uh, nidhav said a uh, really great week for sports fans and i think uh, indian sports fans are generally starved of such success at the world level so it was great to see really remarkable performances by our athletes across multiple fields and i mean hats off to even those who just missed the medals and did really well i mean the tales of both the hockey teams for example will be uh, you know recalled for a long time hopefully we get lot more success in the future so that uh, you know it becomes a more regular affair absolutely absolutely all right in uh, related news the rajiv gandhi khel ratna award has been renamed to major dhyan chand award uh, the prestigious award has been changed to reflect its nature with major dhyan chand being one of india's best ever hockey players sportsmen and athletes have welcomed the move saying the awards for sportsmen should be named after ground breaking sports people the rena- renaming of the rajiv gandhi khel ratna award comes in the week when hockey has returned to the limelight thanks to the exceptional performances by the indian men's and women's hockey teams at the tokyo olympics yeah so i think the timing of the change was sort of warranted in the sense that india's men's and ho- uh, women's hockey teams reached the semi finals the men's team the first time after 1980 winning a medal and the women's team for the first time ever even reaching the semi final so this was a remarkable achievement and something uh, indian sports fans and especially hockey fans will cherish for a long time so changing the number one sports honor in the country and naming it after the greatest hockey player uh, in the world not just india uh, in the history of hockey is kind of appropriate of course you had a certain section of the commentariat and public opinion probably which did not like this because of the political angle to it with let's say you know supporters of certain supporters of the xpm rajiv gandhi probably were not very pleased with it but you know you can't please everybody uh, in this country but i guess i would think that most sports fans and the common public would appreciate this name change and i think some of our 
you know, top performers at the Olympics should soon be winning this award. Uh, Another criteria is like a four-year rolling period of achievement into which the people are awarded. So someone like Neeraj Chopra could be winning it probably in 2023 because or 2022, something like that. Going on, in more changes, the retrospective tax has been overruled. The Modi government has tabled a bill in the parliament to repeal the controversial retrospective tax. The bill will refund rupees 8,100 crores collected in 2012. A retrospective tax, uh, you know, for everyone, is a tax imposed on a transaction or deal conducted in the past. Companies such as Vodafone and KNUK have been caught in the crosshairs when it comes to retrospective tax and have been previously asked to pay over 40,000 crores uh, towards tax. Nirav, what do you think this implies and, you know, what, what, what do you see as an effect out of this? So... I think uh, this is definitely the right step. It is not. So if you go back in history, basically uh, Vodafone purchased uh, the telecom operator Hutchison's shares in 2007. And in 2011, 2012, they were hit with the retrospective uh, for capital gains. And because this transaction was uh, both the buyer and seller conducted the transactions overseas, uh, there was this ambiguity about the tax liability. What this has done is it's made a lot of overseas companies or overseas investors very skeptical about investing in India. And it's not about, so it's not about the tax that we collected or the disputes that were there. It's about the missed investments uh, that have not come in over the last decade uh, since this rule was passed. I personally expected it to be repealed in 2014, 2015 itself when the Modi government first came in. Uh, Probably uh, there were a lot of other forces where they kind of continued with it. So better late than never. Uh, This is very relevant right now, uh, especially where India is uh, coming up with production-linked incentives for a few targeted industries. Uh, If we want to become Atmanirbhar, India has a lot of excess labor. But what India lacks is, say, capital, as well as a little bit of technology. And that's where we want to attract uh, overseas companies or overseas investors who have surplus capital to invest in India and uh, use Indian labor to be like a manufacturing powerhouse. You can see that uh, a lot of investors, even in stocks, are worried that what if some capital gains taxes are changed and their earnings in previous years could be retrospectively taxed. And that has kind of let them put a higher risk weightage. So their uh, hurdle rate for returns are much higher in India versus other emerging markets. Hopefully with this kind of tail risk removed, uh, India becomes even more attractive destination, both for uh, financial investors, as well as for uh, companies doing FDIs, foreign direct investments. Uh, it's a very good rule. Uh, I think our uh, previous contributor on Bharat Varta, member of Bharat Varta, Ashish Chandorkar has a very good article that he's written on it. Uh, he is also going to be India's trade representative in WTO. So uh, it, this is definitely a step in the right direction. And this should lead to a lot more investment into India. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an excellent article that Ashish has written. Uh, Moving on, Amazon and Reliance uh, have been embroiled in a legal battle for a while. In a major win for the e-commerce giant Amazon, they prevented a $3.4 billion deal between their partner Future Group and Reliance Industries. Amazon and Future have been locked in legal battles over the Future Group deal with the U.S. firm accusing the Indian group of violating pre-existing contracts when it sold its assets to Reliance. Future has, of course, uh, denied any wrongdoing. Though the Supreme Court ruling is a shot in the arm for Amazon, 
it faces another challenge from india's antitrust regulator and uh, india's changing e-commerce rules might also hit the hit the retailer hard abhishek we just spoke about you know the e-commerce regulations being proposed and so on right so how do you see this i think uh, i'll probably like to give the viewers a sort of history of this deal sometime last year around august it was announced that the future retail will do a slump sale of their retail and wholesale business future retail includes brands like big bazaar right so it's a quite a valuable commodity and reliance retail was the buyer now what happened was that amazon held Uh, about 49% in the company future coupons who held 7.3% in future retail so what amazon claimed or objected to this deal happening was that they had something called a call option which means that they had the ability to exercise the option before any buyer is supposed to get a chance to buy future retail right so the, this there was this apparent agreement between the parties the future group along with reliance wanted to go ahead with the deal so what amazon did is they took the case to singapore in front of the singapore international arbitration council and the first judgment out of that right went in favor of stopping the deal right once that happened uh, the first order that came uh, was pro amazon however in india future retail and reliance both wanted to go ahead with those plans uh, and they started apply, applying to various statutory bodies and regulators like sebi national stock exchange competition commission of india and nclt and so on so these moves then prompted amazon to seek a stay and, and you know what they did is they went to the delhi high court so the delhi high court then had two different verdicts first there was a single judge bench which sort of said that sided with amazon and basically said that you know yes you have to comply with the iac orders future and reliance had basically claimed that of international court's order was null and void in india so the high court single judge bench did not agree with that but few days later there was a division bench of two judges they however lifted that status quo and said that you can go ahead with the sale what they said is that since this is a deal between two parties future and reliance amazon has no locus to oppose the deal they gave you know sort of various other legal reasons so amazon after this went to the supreme court so what has happened in the past week is that the supreme court has upheld that you can enforce an international arbitration court's order in india and principle they have said is that within the arbitration act such an award can be given and you know these arbitration courts are a good step in decongesting civil courts and things like that so net uh, net you know this supreme court which has not really gone into the merits of the case but rather given a principled judgment on the standing of an international arbitration court so that has been good for amazon i think the other interesting thing to watch out for is for indian banks etc which right now you know the financial situation of the future group is very precarious right so they have they owe about 19000 crores to banks they owe about 6000 plus crores to various vendors and people were hoping that with reliance infusing cash into the group some of those concerns would be sort of uh, levied but now with this current supreme court judgment that thing has now i mean 
there would be now more doubts on the viability of the future group in in their uh, you know ability to pay these uh, large debts so that's also something to watch out for i think the next steps will be interesting the both the parties are now going to the singapore uh, arbitration center for a quick uh, sort of final judgment and then i guess they'll take it from there so thanks uh, thanks for the abhishek and speaking of singapore we're going to go to nirav next to talk about the vaccinations wow that was an amazing segue right so vaccinations crossed the 50 crore mark after 203 days of starting right india had taken 86 days to cross the 10 crore mark while the journey from 40 crore to 50 crore was completed in just 20 days wow Serum Institute will increase production capacity of Covishield from 11 crore doses per month to 12 crore doses per month while Bharat Biotech plans to produce 5.8 crore doses of Covaxin per month from its current capacity of 2.4 2.5 crores uh, doses five states uh, namely Madhya Pradesh Madhya Pradesh Gujarat Rajasthan Maharashtra and Uttar Pradesh have administered more than 1 crore cumulative doses of COVID-19 vaccine in the age group of 18 to 44 years nirav i mean this is a phenomenal phenomenal effort right i mean i tweeted this earlier that you know for a country that is famously uh, short of state capacity we've just transformed last mile delivery in the in the most in the absolute most uh, trying circumstances right yeah as in this has been like a phenomenal effort uh, yeah it is with all the participants involved so uh hats off to uh serum institute and bharat biotech uh bharat Bi- also like from the policy perspective as well the health ministry with the previous health minister and the current health minister mansukh mandavya uh of uh treating this uh covid 19 pandemic seriously uh giving assistance uh to these uh uh vaccine manufacturers also icmr giving emergency approval to bharat biotech while people were saying that it has not been approved by who uh the uh, tests later have proven that uh, these vaccines are actually the most effective versus the delta variant whereas like the overseas pfizer and moderna vaccines uh, they are very effective against the original wuhan wuhan variant but as you keep moving mutating away from the original variant their efficacy comes lower uh this also underlines the importance of being self reliant or being atmanirbhar that uh, you look at uh, countries in south america you look at countries in southeast asia uh, as well as australia and new zealand where because of lack of uh, domestic supply of the vaccine uh, they've also been facing uh, like a new wave of uh, infections india did have like a very uh, painful uh, second wave but uh, after that we've ramped up vaccination uh, vaccine production there were a couple of bottlenecks uh, where certain active pharmaceutical ingredients uh, they were blocked from being exported from the us our foreign ministry s jay shankar has also helped out to uh, remove those bottlenecks and uh, bharat biotech has set up not just the original factory in uh, facility in hyderabad they have one more facility in bangalore which they did have tearing troubles but as you see that they have expanded production they also have in the pipeline a facility in ankleshwar gujarat uh, besides these two uh, we have a few more vaccines in the pipeline so johnson and johnson vaccine has been de- uh, approved for emergency use uh, indian uh, uh, indian vaccine maker biological e uh, will be manufacturing it in india 
Sputnik is being manufactured by heterodrugs and distributed by Dr. Reddy's. Uh, Zydus Cadilla has its own uh, vaccine, which is a DNA vaccine uh, called Zykov B. Uh, Novovax, which will also be produced by Serum Institute, uh, hopefully comes online by October. So while for the month of August, so in July, we did 13.4 uh, crores. In the month of August, we should have supply of about 17 uh, to 18 crores. Maybe we should see uh, 15 crore doses administered in the month of August. Probably in September, that moves up to 20 to 25 crores. And October onwards, uh, if we reach 30 crores a month, by December, we have 90 crore uh, adults. Amazing. So we should be able to vaccinate all the willing adults, which probably might be about 80% of the adult population for two doses. Uh, hopefully we get approvals or we have a version for children as well. And uh, this totally shows that uh, India can deliver on scale and uh, cooperation within different ministries, the private sector, public sector, etc. has come together and it has delivered a fantastic thing. And we just have to think that in case we didn't have this, uh, how vulnerable would we be? And the health crisis probably would have been five to 10 X words. So it tells us that uh, we need to be self-reliant. We need to be able to uh, react to different situations. So if we have a big manufacturing base, if we had, we could produce PPE, we could produce our own vaccines, we can produce our own medication, uh, which is what is needed uh, to be resilient uh, in this uh, global world, where there's more frictions to trade. So absolutely, this is a fantastic uh, achievement. And as we expect, uh, this is just going to accelerate further. Right. Yeah, the logistics of uh, this is just mind boggling, really. All right. Uh, in an otherwise overly optimistic weekly, we have some unfortunate news. A Hindu temple was desecrated in Pakistan. Uh, Pakistan has come under international attention after a mob in eastern Punjab attacked and badly damaged a Hindu temple. A mob attacked and burned down part of the temple after reports of an eight-year-old Hindu boy who allegedly desecrated an Islamic religious structure by urinating on it. He has been granted bail, but blasphemy is punishable by death in Pakistan. Meanwhile, tensions are simmering at the temple as the government has deployed paramilitary forces at the location. Abhishek, what really has happened? And, you know, like, I think uh, the ministries have gotten involved as well, right? So, yeah, can you make sense of this? Yeah, so I think such kind of incidents keep happening every few months, probably in Pakistan, uh, where blasphemy is a very big deal, right? And they want to punish people who blaspheme, punish by death. So, in this case, it was a young eight-year-old kid who allegedly desecrated uh, Islamic religious place. Uh, and however, I guess due to his age or whatever, he got bail, uh, which didn't please the locals. So they went ahead and attacked this uh, temple. So this is in the Rahim Yar Khan district in Punjab. So I guess the local uh, police or security forces were negligent in the beginning, which allowed all these incidents to happen. Uh, and then it became a bigger deal on social media with these videos coming out. I think uh, it was, there was enough uproar that the PM of Pakistan also reacted saying that, you know, they will look into the incident very strictly and rebuild the temple and so on. And India's uh, MEA 
also has uh, sort of given a very strong statement condemning the incident and asking Pakistan to take care of their minorities, right? So I think these kind of incidents are quite uh, common now. I mean, since I think 2020, there has been three or four such uh, major incidents which have come out in the open. I think what happens is that, uh, sure, I guess the authorities wake up after a while and take redressal steps, but it definitely creates a lot of fear among the local Hindu population and probably a lot of people sort of move out of those areas and, uh, you know, that basically really disrupts their life in the long term. So, yeah, very unfortunate. So that brings us to an end on the Bharatwarta Weekly. Uh, so these were the news and events for the week. Uh, you know, coming up, we have a couple of fantastic episodes planned. Uh, we'll be talking to author Ami Ganatra about her new book, Mahabharata Unraveled. I've actually read the book. It's pretty interesting, um, very interesting factoids, anecdotes, perspectives, dissecting characters, analyzing various events and so on and so forth. Um, it's a nice uh, sort of a reminder of how epic Mahabharata is really. I mean, just when you feel that, you know, you've figured something, there's always a new perspective to discover, right? So uh, really, really amazing, uh, you know, uh, book. And I'm really looking forward to this chat. We also have a very interesting uh, chat uh, lined up with uh, Sri Vijay Gokhale, who was the former ambassador to China, right? Uh, Amit uh, Pranjpe will be hosting this. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously, um, you know, uh, Mr. Gokhale will have uh, an amazing vantage point, right, to discuss some of these things uh, geopolitically, right? So really looking forward to this as well. Yeah, both these episodes will be out next week and I hope you like this. Uh, so until next time, thank you so much uh, for joining us on this weekly and do stay safe. Take care. Take your vaccine at your turn and uh, we'll see you next week.